basically, we're here at uh, AAALC, Albertson's African Americans Leadership Council, and we welcome everyone to what we call our conversation. Um, this will be a relaxed and open dialogue to give others a small window into how we feel and what we think. Let's just go with a quick self-introduction to uh, each member, um, everybody that's on, on the call right now, and uh, start with, with you, Suzanne, and then kind of go through, through the list. Hi, I'm Suzanne Mercer, and I am in corporate HR. Uh, I am Adam Meyer. I am uh, in corporate uh, pharmacy finance and analytics for pharmacy. I am Remar Christie. I'm in the corporate floral team under marketing and merchandising. I'm Sharon Hall, and I am in our strategic sourcing team in corporate Boise. Yeah, hello, everyone. I'm Andre Cross. I am um, supply chain safety director and also the chair of AAALC. I'm Paul Bancroft-Turner, and I'm with uh, Corporate Communications. Um, Elmer Turner, uh, I work in uh, distribution and automation. And so this is our, our little first run at a podcast. So real quick, um, just a little bit of information on how to reach us. You can reach us at AAALC at albertsons.com. Um, or you can get us at a diversity web page that's out there that Paul uh, so wonderfully put together for all of us. Um, you can send your questions, inputs. You can sign up to join or even get support with starting your own branch of AAALC uh, by sending an email to us. And any of us will pick up that email at, out of the AAALC at albertsons.com uh, email page and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. So let's start off with the question. And the question for this week's podcast is, what does Black History Month mean to you? Suzanne, would you like to start us out? Sure, sure. Uh, first, I'll give you a little background. I am from Jamaica, and so um, I wasn't born and raised in the United States. So my history and my culture is different. Uh, at first, when I came here for quite a few years, I did not feel um, a part of the black history um, here because, you know, it's I grew up in, in a different country and my culture was different. And so for a long time, um, one, I didn't know that there was a there was a black history month. And, you know, I also live in Idaho, which um, we don't have a is predominantly Caucasian and so we don't have, um, I wasn't introduced to that. It wasn't well broadcasted or, you know, I just didn't know about it. And then um, after my children were born and they started attending school, I started to, you know, feel a pull to educate myself on black history. And that's when I kind of started to realize that there is a black history. Uh, the children would talk about some things, um, you know, from school and things like that. And then uh, as they got older and in high school, and I started experiencing um, racism to some degree, and they did, uh, the pull was even greater. Um, fast forward to now and post George Floyd, what that means to me is 
definitely um, more of education than anything else because it hasn't been part of my history or I didn't feel connected to it. I've educated myself and learned about uh, the incredible people who have contributed to our uh, American history and to where we are today. Uh, you know, for example, the three amazing African-American women who were pivotal, who, con who contributed, um, they were mathematicians, if you know about Hidden Figures, the movie. Uh, you know, nobody knew about those, those three women. Um, right. There's also, uh, what's her name? The first uh, African-American uh, to join the space program, who were uh, I can't remember her name. Uh, anyway, there are just so many. There's so many people in in history who we don't hear about that have uh, contributed to our history in the UN in the United States. And so, for me, a lot of it has to do with that. Of course, now I feel more connected to it, having been here for for quite a few years and having uh, also been affected um, both in the corporate world and, you know, in general, uh, from the questions that people ask me, from um, the lack of diversity. I was talking to somebody, a friend of mine, and in Jamaica, we don't have a section that has um, for specifically for Blacks, you know, like for, for for the shampoo section, we don't we don't have a specific. It's just you go and you pick up what works for you. There's not a section in the in the grocery store that's particularly for black for black people or people of color. There isn't that, so I don't have that. Um, I didn't have that experience. So for me, what so, Black History? Suzanne, how, how did that feel though when you came here? And, and you had to go to the regular store and there weren't any products in the hair care section for you and you had to go find your own section. How did that feel? Oh, yeah, definitely. It, it, was, it was strange, it was weird, but at the time, um, because I came here and it was just new and different, even although I didn't have those products available and things like that, I just chalked it up to the experience. So it didn't hit me um, in the beginning um, as it, as I, as the years went on, it didn't hit me you, immediately. Cause you were kind of just a foreigner in a different country. So you just in said, a country. Uh, this is just a different country. Right, right. And, but once and especially you started, I, in Idaho, I thought, yeah. okay, we don't have a lot of, so I didn't really, it didn't really, I, I didn't really connect it. Right. Um, and it was Mae Jemison. I, I looked it up real quick. That's Go right. Ahead. Thank you. Mae Jemison. So yeah. I've learned over the years, um, I've tried to educate myself. Now, more so uh, in the corporate culture, I've tried to um, educate myself on how, um, because, you know, we have to navigate um, diversity and inclusion. And how that affects me as a black woman, um, how it affects uh, just being an employee in a company that uh, doesn't have, especially here in Boise, Idaho, that don't 
we don't have a lot of African Americans. So just um, it's more education for me um, in helping me to navigate all of this. Wow. And that, that makes me think about Remar because he came from a, a kind of a similar situation too. Because you're from the from which island are you from, Remar? Barbados. Right. Yeah. Did so, you? Go yeah. Ahead, did you have something similar? I was gonna say, did you have a similar experience in, in the same as Suzanne? Did? Um, yes and no. I think um, I've I've been here for uh, like ten years, and I think I knew coming to Idaho that it was going to be a culture shock that it was going to be I was going to be a minority so I think um, part of it was that I was somewhat prepared as much as you can be prepared for it um, but definitely did have those experience like Suzanne talked about going to the store and having to look for the specifically black products or whatever, what does Walmart call that aisle now? The the ethnic aisle or whatever they call it now? Right, yes. <laughs> yeah, and just, just being, because uh, I came from, in the Caribbean, we have, uh, especially my island, it's very diverse, but it's majority blacks or people that look exactly like me. So I came from one extreme to the other extreme where I was one of, I think in like my graduating class in college, I was one of, five or ten or something like that so i like went from one extreme to the other so definitely notice a different notice a difference and notice a difference in uh like my thought process how i interacted with people my wife always tells me this that every time we leave the states and i go back home i'm like a totally different person because i'm not like (laughs) and the first time she said it she i was like what do you mean I think I'm the same everywhere, but what she was saying is that you're relaxed. You're like among your people. You're not, you don't have that. um, You're not always worried about what someone is thinking of you or if you're coming off as a threat or whatever, yada, yada, yada. It's like you are just you whenever we go back to Barbados. And she loves it when we go there. And I just like consciously after the craziness that was 2020 after you know the george floyd tragedy and after all the the protests and everything consciously i've been working to not um take away from who i am to make other people comfortable and just be myself wherever i am wow that's that's big suzanne did you do you feel that way when you go back or have you been oh back yes, yes I have, and it's a complete, it's a complete difference. I was going to ask Remar, does your accent change? Because a lot oh. of people. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. <laughs> My lot accent of... changes when I go through the black neighborhoods. Yeah, so so it's it, no, that's a really good question, and it's a funny question because I laugh about it all the time. So I could be talking to you guys right now like this. And if my parents or someone calls me from back home, it will immediately change. So same, same for me too as well. But but the thing is, ET, I can't consciously think about it to do it. Oh. It's like a switch that just unconsciously flips. So when I'm talking to my parents, I go, I flip back and forth in between. And then when I go home, it's like 
the second or third day that I'm at home, it's full blown accent that comes back out. And then when I come back here, it takes me a couple days to transition again. <laughs> yeah, to totally agreed. When I when I go home, you have to understand Caribbean culture is completely different from mm -hmm. our, our culture here. Um, one thing we are very open and I'd say now that I've been here for a while and when I go go home, sometimes I, you know, it's jarring because I didn't realize how forward we are in Jamaica. <laughs> and I think mm. that's typical of Caribbean culture. We're very forward. You know, we tell it like it is. If you don't like it, you know, that's nobody's it's it's not offensive. They don't take it personal. Yeah. They don't take yeah. it personally. Right. So anyway, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a huge difference. And I I'm completely comfortable in the in that culture when I go home. It's it's funny you say that, Suzanne, because when my wife, we've been married for like six years, but we've been together for nine, I think. When she first met me and got around me, she did not like me because of that, because she wasn't <laughs> used to, she wasn't used to the, the forwardness that Caribbean people have, where we just tell it like it is. And it took her a while to like understand that, even though she's from, her dad's from the Caribbean too, but he's been in the US for like 20, 30 years. Um, but when she was with me and when she would go home with my family and be around my friends, she was like, are they mad at me? Are they like, do they like me or whatever? I'm like, the more that they tell you like it is and make fun of you, the more they like you. So can can I relate that back to like a an Afrocentric thing? Because when yeah. we go back to to the community, that's kind of how it is, right? Yeah. I mean, all of us when we get on calls, and Dre, you've done this several times, and 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 Sharon, I've, I've seen you do it. When we'll just go in on somebody, just just a slight, <laughs> just slightly. How do you do? You think that's just something Afrocentric, or is that? Yeah, I think it's definitely something deeply Afrocentric that come because it's um, it's across all different you know parts of the african-american culture it's like the the caribbean aspect of it the the african african-american they all we all have that uh part of where that is in our dna um, and how we connect to people so i would say definitely yes that's just part of our our nature and our culture well let's let's bring andre into it you no, know, that's funny. You, that's funny. You guys said that a couple of things. I, you know, I think that, you know, when you consider yourself culturally around friends and family, right, we act a certain way. <laughs> and I think as an African-American, we all have our corporate way. <laughs> and then we have our I'm around family way. And, and I think that's that that's uh, part of the, the, you know, the two sides that the worlds that we operate in. And, and Suzanne, you know, my my father is uh, from the Caribbean also. And so we shared the same thing. And I want to go back to the Idaho thing. When I moved to Idaho from the East Coast, first the first thing I had to do is I had to go look on the map. And I, I consider myself <laughs> knowing the United States. Where in the world is Idaho? Uh, and then I did all of the searching and stuff. And so, but real quick, a real quick story. My diversity actually came on my first time out on a um, to do the interview. And I was on this plane. I'm not the smallest guy in the world. So we had these, you know, Idaho, you fly sometimes in on these small little uh, charter planes or whatever they call. 
And I'm, I'm sitting there, and then this guy comes down the aisle. He's a big guy. And I'm like, oh, please, Lord, please don't let him sit next to me. Don't let him sit next to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And there he sat next to me. And he just struck up a conversation, a Caucasian guy. And it was such a pleasant conversation, um, you know. And he was telling me about, he's from McCall, and, I mean, uh, 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 Idaho Falls. And he was telling me about the culture and everything like that. And at the end of it, when we landed um, at the airport, and he said, can you, he, he was sitting in the aisle side. He said, can you exit before me? And I'm thinking, okay, but you're next to me and you're not a small guy, right? And he says, oh, I'm a deputy sheriff. And he pointed to the seat next to us. So that's my partner. And we're transporting somebody. <laughs> and it was like, so you, you're talking about a culture shock, but this guy was just so welcoming. And, and that actually kind of took a lot of the anxiety out of what Idaho was and what my experience would, would be just that plane ride. I mean, you know, so um, just coming from the East Coast and experiencing that, having to find out what, what Idaho was, where it was at and what it was about, um, had a pretty good experience with that, with that um, individual. You so, are exactly right, Andre. Like, it is so welcoming here in Idaho. It's almost freaky. Like the first time I came here, how nice and welcoming people were. I was almost turned off to the fact of, are these people really this nice? Interesting. Your parents were immigrants originally, right? So you're kind of like that, the the first generation. Uh, yeah, yeah. So my yeah. Uh, my father was my my mother. Is from this is from is a U.S. born. My father was an immigrant. Okay, so I just wanted to see how far off you were, but I wanted to bring Paul in too because he's looking at the same thing but from a different perspective. I, I would I would I would say, right, coming from from England. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it was um, first of all, you know, Black Black History Month um, in England just doesn't really exist. It, it may do now because of how small the world has become. Um, but back when uh, back when I was over there, we didn't really. I, what I will say is I didn't really experience racism until I did, and Elman um, knows this. But but my sister is actually Cantonese. We adopted her when we lived in Hong Kong uh, in the early '80s, and um, we all went to a boarding school that was paid for by by the Royal Air Force because that's where my dad was, and um, so we were all very sheltered. Our school was maybe 220 people. And uh, towards the end, my dad retired and the prices for the schools were just outrageous. So my youngest sister, Liz, um, she actually had to leave and she was in class one day and um, she came home crying. And my parents were kind of asking, you know, what's going on? And, you know, she was being bullied a little bit. I'm not going to get into exactly what it was because it was it's quite graphic um, and, and kind of disgusting. But. That was the first time that I'd ever really experienced racism over in England personally. Um, but but that and so and that even then that was so foreign to me because I couldn't really wrap my head around it. Um, you know, we'd never been um, introduced to it by my parents in any way, shape, or form. You know, we didn't really even know what it was until we you know until you're old enough to know what it is by by yourself. But yeah, com coming over to this country, it was a huge culture shock. And just just kind of hearing um, some of the stories, my, my grandmother came to visit my, I have an uncle who lives in Kentucky, and um, she came over to visit him. And she was going through immigration, and, and the immigration officer, I mean, this is going back, you know, 20, 30 years now. But I turned around to her and said, you know, can you believe we had a black person come through here the other day? And I'm like, why, why would anybody even say that? Um, let alone, why would that be weird? 
that that would never even cross my mind. Wow! Um, so, so it's really hard. Um, did you want? Sorry, Ramai, did you want to say something? No, I just said wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and so for me, um, black. So I'll tell you what Black History Month means for me. It for me, it's an educational month, and it's an opportunity to really take the time and dig in deep. And I've heard some fantastic stories. Um, probably the most incredible one, I'm sure you you guys all know, is about uh, Eugene Boulard. Um, his his story, if you haven't seen it, I would look him up um, because it is absolutely incredible. And I'm not going to tell the story here because it's an extremely long one. But you guys should totally look it up. Um, if What's you the last name? It's uh, it's pronounced Boulard, but it's B U L L A R D. Eugene Boulard. Okay. Adam, you come from a completely different perspective because you aren't you from here? That was a great <laughs> no, seg- not segue. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great segue. <laughs> oh, I mean, I was born in Seattle, raised in a oh, suburb of Chicago. Seattle. Um, Seattle. College in Texas. And I lived in Arizona for about a year, California for 10, and now I'm up here in Idaho. Okay. Past so you're, five. You're yeah. Yep. So um, what's 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 your perspective? Especially perspective after hearing some Black of the, history first month? your first your own perspective and then based off of what you heard from Suzanne and Remar and and, and uh, Andre and Paul and then we we want to see what you feel, how you feel, what you've seen. I mean Black History Month to me, from my perspective, is a chance to learn about things that weren't taught. Uh extensively in any of the privileged areas that I might have come from. It's I, it's kind of funny because when I was doing, in college, I did uh, some community college up in Illinois, and then I, I finished out in, in Texas. But the way the history broke is the northern schools taught history up until the Civil War, and the southern schools taught the second half of history from the Civil War or from after the Civil War. So in my college education, I didn't actually have to study anything about the Civil War. <laughs> wow. They omitted that part. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, I don't like seeing the history as it is, but it, it provides just a completely di- different perspective to see how the world really is and how it has been. Um, when you take a look at even in some of the popular culture, uh, that's been out there, like uh, HBO's Watchmen, when they're showing their initial episode. Oh, and all I the love that. Yeah. At love first, it. I'm like, "What the heck is yeah. this?" Then, then, yeah. I, then, then I kind of realize, "Oh, this probably happened." You know, mm-hmm. it's not fictional. Yes. So, yeah. what, what about your experience coming into uh, uh, Idaho? I got involved with uh, AALC because my coworker Juanita Lewis, uh, she invited me one day. She's like, "Hey, there's some free Jimmy John's downstairs." I'm like what the heck? I'll go grab a sandwich. And I, you know, I sat down there, and being the only white person in the room, it actually kind of caused a perspective shift. I, I in, in those few moments there, I feel like I was for a moment in the shoes of any of you who have been in a room where you're the only black person. Mm-hmm. You know, I was super careful. I was worried about saying the wrong thing or something stupid, you know, and I heard uh, Andre and um, I can't remember her name, uh, the lady who was with us before, but left, you know, they they were kind of joking around about something that 
in a corporate culture might not be perfect, but it, it showed me that they were comfortable with each other and other people around them, and, and, and there was some good humor out there. We were kind of stalling for you, Sharon. So if you're in a good spot, you want to kind of go into your story, what you think about Black history? I am parked in my garage and ready to talk. Will it? Oh, you forgot. Okay. Let's go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can tell you, uh, first of all, I got to start with this. I am so appreciative of this platform. You guys are awesome. Hearing your backgrounds, hearing your stories, seeing that we all come from different perspectives, and it just really enlightens um, the need for people to really get to know each other. Get to know the person, not the color of their skin, because you will be surprised, you know, the similarities and also the differences that are not as obvious. And so I really appreciate this because I even feel closer to all of you right now, just from learning a little bit more about your perspective. So I really do appreciate that. I come from the South. I come from Louisiana. And um, in Louisiana, um, you see cotton, you see sugar cane, you see plantations. Every day is a living reminder of slavery, of ancestry, and what our forefathers have gone through just to put food on the table and what they have endured. To this day, my husband will not go to a plantation at all because it's too painful of the treatment of Blacks in America. And we did not live far, live far from a lot of plantations. And so there's one place not far from where I live. You just drive completely down the street and there's plantation after plantation after plantation. And some of the houses where the slaves lived is still standing, where you can see where the masters lived and you can see where the slaves lived. And it's painful. Mm -hmm. And it, it is, but these are tourist attractions. People are paying to go to these plantations and these plantations are profiting off of um, the slavery and the history of Blacks. And so it is very heart-wrenching at times. And so it's always emotional for me when it comes to Black history, because as um, Suzanne was saying, you know, Blacks have contributed so much to the modernization of our country, and yet they have been beaten and brutalized and uh, disqualified for this or not given equal rights to this. We've had to um, work hard and die for human rights, basic human rights. And so it is, I live it every day. And in Louisiana where Ku Klux Klan, this was something that was uh, the norm where you were always on guard. Every time you saw a white person, you didn't know if they were a Klansman or not. There were places you did not go 
because alone because you wanted to make sure you got back to your family safely. These deep-rooted memories, especially in Louisiana where you see it every day because the reminders are there, which, which is why I can understand why there was so much uh, frustration this past year regarding tearing down some of these statues because of what they reminded people of. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking, but I also have to balance it with the victories and how far we have come, you know, the old spiritual that we seeing in the black church, we've come this far by faith, leaning on the Lord. That is so traditional in the black culture because of our struggles. And we were just singing this song last night because I was at choir rehearsal. Um, and so it was, it was like, man, I just, you know, you can't help but be reminded of how far we have come. And you think about all of the trailblazers, you think about the heroes and you think about those who have died. So it's a bittersweet, but you're so glad that we are far from that. But yet we're reminded every day when we look at all that we have gone through this past year, you have to ask yourself, what have we accomplished when the mindset and hearts of so many it's so cold and ugly and all they see is color. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and we kind of have to look yeah. at, at, at our history. And I think that's what the whole point of black history month is, is, is to say, Hey, there have been some omissions to history and, and they needed to, they need to be included. And I, I think, I, I know they, they had that whole 1619 uh, um, proclamation, not proclamation, but movement. Um, and th there are some issues with that, um, but the the gist of what it was trying to do was, hey, let's remind people that not everything was uh, rosy, like kind of like what Adam was saying. He was he learned parts of of American history and omitted the entire um, uh, Civil War uh, mm. through his schooling. Um, there's a lot of omissions, and that's yeah. basically what what Black History Month is is decidedly yes. supposed to do but we want to move past that right? right as as a country look at it as our history and 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 i don't think we should get away from you know black history month but i i think it should get to a point to where oh yeah we learned that back in november uh about uh, benjamin banneker right or we we learned about uh what what's what's uh what's our guy's name that you just introduced us to paul uh, uh, Eugene. Uh, Eugene. Yeah. yeah, I mean that. Hey, I I was just studying history in the in in the first World War and the first uh, black fighter pilot came up. That should be a part of our everyday understanding of history. Um, so yeah. I, I think I think we're headed there. I we're not there yet. I mean, we had that recent uh, learning of the history of MLK Day in Idaho and what it was called. Yeah. Right. Right. And it's it still uh, persists in other states. Right. It wasn't just Idaho. I, I think we should. Also yeah. Mention Arizona was one. Right. Utah. 
Yeah. So, uh, what what was it? What was it called? I, I'm not looking at it right now. But it what was it? Um, Idaho. Uh, Mo uh, Martin Luther King you know Jr. What? Idaho Human Rights Day. Human rights. Yeah, Day. Human Rights Day. Yeah. So they and then even in the South they they have uh, I think it was Confederacy Day or something like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, right? Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee Day. They call it they call it Robert E. Lee and Martin Luther or Mar- Robert E. Lee and King Day, and it's like those are two antithesis of each other. Right. And, and you put them in the same same sentence is like ridiculous. It's like saying. Angela Merkel and 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 Hitler Day. Uh, what are you doing? <laughs> There's two different things. Sharon, you're about to say something. I forgot to tell you about my uh, Idaho experience. Oh yeah. I wouldn't. I know some of the team have said that Idaho was a um, culture shock for them. I but it wasn't really a culture shock for me. I was surprised at how nice people are and how genuine people are. I was very surprised by that. Um, I, I always felt welcome, uh, even though I was different, but I never felt out of place. So I, I really appreciate that. Uh, I mean, there are a few people that, you know, there's a, they, they have a few people everywhere that really show what's in their hearts. Um, but overall, uh, I feel comfortable, even though I've had a few bad experiences, but I don't let that speak to the whole state because there's bad apples everywhere. You know what I mean? Hey, Sharon, can I add to that too? Somebody asked yeah. me, because I, I talk to different people all the time, and they say, yeah, you out there in Idaho, what's it like out there? And, and I have to be honest, I say it's no different than if I were in Seattle or any other city. Um, you get just the amount of the, the same amount of racism you would here as you would anywhere else. Um, obviously, like in the South and some other segregated places, it's a little bit more distinct. But even then, you kind of have to go out of your way to see it. Um, I, I say the only issue here is the lack of diversity, but that doesn't mean that it's a racist situation. Um, Remar, I think you were going to say something. Yes. Yeah. Sure yeah, I was going to ask uh, Sharon a question. Um, <clears throat> first of all, thank you for sharing your story. Um, it sounds very similar to my mother-in-law's story. She's from Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, to this day, she won't even watch certain movies that have to deal with slavery and stuff like that. And um, you talked about, you know, the plantations still being there. And for me in Barbados, there's still a lot of remnants of plantation. There's still plantation houses and stuff on the island. Mm-hmm. But... I feel like when I was in school, they taught a lot of the history of slavery, um, segregation, the sugar plantations, all that stuff in school. I learned a lot of that stuff. And then when I came here, it feels like there's a, a hesitance to talk about that ugly part of the history mm-hmm. of this country. Mm-hmm. And in my brain, I'm like, we can't just not talk about that part of our history and expect everything to be good in the future. Yes, it's an ugly part of it, but we need to talk about it, recognize it, and be able to not make those same mistakes again. So I say all that to say, I know you talked about how the plantations still kind of still make money off of uh, the the backs of black people. How do you think we can go about 
teaching the history of this country and doing it in a way where we're not profiting off of the ugly history of it. I don't know if that makes any sense. I, I definitely understand what you're saying. And I don't have any ideas or suggestions um, other than I know it, it takes a movement of mm -hmm. people uh, to be passionate enough to let their voices be heard about that particular profiting yeah. off of the the horrible history associated with the treatment of blacks just like what happened with the uh the statues that identified with the confederate flag and all of the other stuff that was happening it it takes a movement to get angry enough yeah. uh, to be passionate enough to say you will not profit off of the 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 injustices that was done to black americans right. and i think you know i mean I, I i like i said i get passionate about it because i know that people especially in louisiana um people like to be silent they don't mm -hmm. like to speak up and because they are fearful uh, because again, when you look at your coworker who is white, you don't know if they are part of the Ku Klux Klan or not. Right. You don't know if you will become a target of any kind. And so there is a there is a you there is an eye contact body language that occurs when there are certain conversations that take place when you know when to be silent and you know when to speak up because of not wanting to offend or bring attention to yourself. Now, mm -hmm. I'm not in that in that number because- <laughs> um, Oh, we know I that, Sharon, we know said, that. <laughs> that. I have always said that God has given me a voice mm -hmm. and I am going to use my voice for the good. That means speaking the truth even when it hurts and being bold enough to stand up for what I believe. Now I know everybody, you know, is not cut from that cloth, but I believe if there are enough people who are passionate enough to be bold enough to speak the truth about that, something could happen. But the South is a whole different mindset. Yeah. And I, I, I think, it's, I think the South definitely is, but I think it that's it's pervasive across the United States. Um, yeah. You know, they they talk about racism in general. Some of the some of the harshest racism has happened in the northern states, and we don't even talk about that, right? Uh, whether whether it was legislated in, if you want to talk about redlining, or mm -hmm. or any any other um, uh, types of. I guess, um, what, what would you say they were kind of, um, I, I'm trying to think of the right word, but anything to suppress. Yeah. And, and, and I've noticed in, in my own experience that the people that you need to fix similar to what you're saying, Sharon, are, there's not just in the South, it's the ones that aren't speaking. And, and a lot of times they even say the right things. Right. And, and, and I think we noticed that and I hate to bring up politics, but I think we noticed that in, in the elections. Right. Um, 
there's a very large group of people that ever since 2016 have been very vocal because they really agree with some of those uh, identity, the negative identity politics. Mm -hmm. uh, there's identity poli politics on both sides, don't get me wrong. But the negative side that's, that kind of pushes against another group, they became very vocal and they weren't just in the South. They're all over the place. And, and mm -hmm. that's where we have to, I think these types of conversations that we're having now, um, and we open up that that open up the door, open up the room, open up the windows, open up that seat to where you sit next to the person that you definitely don't identify with, and get to know them and find out who they are first. Right. Um, and and I think that's kind of what we want to set the table for on these conversations. We kind of want to open that door. Yeah. To allow anybody in and say, hey, let's talk about this, and you're in a safe place. There's no PC. We're not going to come at you with with political correctness. And if you, as long as we're not being offensive to each other and being respectful, you can ask a genuine question, kind of like what uh, I think Paul was kind of talking about. How how do we, how do we come? I mean, we know this is a safe environment, right? We can have we can have the conversations. We know that no one's going to get upset. Right. Well, you can get upset. You know, you, of course you can get upset, but we're not going to be angry with each other for, for, for whatever reason. Right. So I think it's like, you know, it, it's, it's how do we bring those conversations up when we don't know what the response is going to be in the first place? I'm playing devil's advocate here a little bit. Well, don't just jump in somebody's grill and, and <laughs> do, it within, do it within context, right? Um, get to no. know somebody. Uh, just don't say, dude, why is your breast stink? I mean, you, you wouldn't do that to the average person. So it's true. I, I just I think sorry, go ahead. Um, go ahead. No, you got it, Reed. Go ahead. Sorry. I think for me on my part, to answer that question from my perspective, I would say first off, like build a start to build like a genuine relationship with that person. Um, before you bring up those kind of heavier topics. Because I think once you have somewhat of a relationship or, or friendship or whatever it is and you have that foundation it's easier to genuinely bring up those questions and each of you knows there's no malice or mal intent in those questions it's for both of you to learn so i think uh genuinely trying to build a friendship or a relationship with the person that you want to ask those questions to is a good way to start nice it is, and and I know I can I can think back. Uh, you know, I, I have definitely in so many situations been the only black on my team, been the only black or, or what have you, and so I am comfortable in my skin. And my closest coworkers have always been white, because that's the environment I was in, and it has just been amazing to me the genuine friendships and relationships that I have with them because they cared enough to listen. They knew that I was a vocal person and um, they were comfortable asking me questions about certain things. And it, it gave them a deeper understanding of me. It gave them a deeper understanding of Blacks and it helped them to know how to communicate better. And so I think it's not just the white person or a person of a, another race that has to 
be mindful, but it's also me. It's also, I have to make sure that I am approachable, that mm -hmm. I am providing an atmosphere where a person will feel comfortable and relaxed enough to even ask a question that may be a tough question so that it doesn't become or feel offensive. I have a responsibility in it too. It's just like relationship building. Relationships, it's a two-way street and it's not on just one person. And, and so you have to think of, okay, that person has to want to be engaged as well in order to make it work. And so I, 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 I would say, Paul, you, you don't want to put all that burden on yourself uh, to try to, you know, be approachable or, or uh, engage with someone of a different race. Understand that it's a two-way street. Yeah. Hey, Sharon, you know what? That's interesting because, you know, a lot of my Caucasian friends in, in, the, in the era of engagement and everything we're going through, I actually carry that with me also, right? It is a difficult conversation. And, and, and so I often have to say to myself, reach out to them. That's right. And ask them questions, you know, and exactly. ask them, are they comfortable and what's their perspective on things? And, 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 then, and then let that guard down saying that I'm not going to be judgmental about your response. I got to exactly. also work at creating that environment where that exchange is fluid. I may disagree with them, <laughs> I agree with you. Um, yeah. But that's okay too, you know, um, because they may disagree with me. But at least we have, we know that we can have that uh, exchange in that safe space. Exactly. Uh, let me share. Let me share. Let me share this quote with you. Uh, this is from Ida B. Wells, and she was an activist for equality and um, social justice. And this is what she said. And just just think about this, and you give me your feedback. She said, "One had better die." fighting against injustice than to die like a dog or a rat in a trap. That's strong. Hey, you know, this is <laughs> one thing that's been on my mind and listening to you guys. It's been a you know great conversation. But I think from my perspective, I'm always reminded, and, and it's been a lot of dark stuff that has happened in, you know, my, in, in our life. But this is America. And one of the things that draws people to this country, keep people in this country and keep people fighting for better America is America. It is this great experiment that no other country has where you can bring people from multitudes of backgrounds together and try to make a nation state. And it's difficult. You know, the native, the first people, you know, you, you know, we talk about white people in this pluralistic view when when they, when they migrated from from um, from from Europe, the Jews, the Italians, the Polish, there was always discrimination in this country and piece by piece we find to make a more better union. And I think this is just a cycle or a time in history where the African-American people of uh, brown skin are their, their moment is up and saying, hey, we want our place at the table, which is part of this American experiment. Um, we don't want to, I mean, a George Floyd is, is, is uh, you know, is appalling. That shouldn't happen just because of your color. And I think it's a great opportunity. I don't want to minimize the stuff that is happening, but again, this is America continue to try to perfect itself, you know, and, and it's a lot of bumps. You know, one of my um, persons that I've been studying during this Black History Month is uh, Maya Angelou, you know, mm -hmm. and one of her quotes, quotes is, uh, we all should know that diversity makes for a rich tapestry. And we must mm -hmm. understand that all the threads of that tapestry are equal in value, no matter what their colors are. And that's mm -hmm. America. 
Yeah. You know, um, we all come together to perform a more perfect union. Um, we are the most desired country. Um, and maybe it's coming from an American perspective you know, um, in the nation. But this experiment on goals, you know, and and, uh, you know, it's a lot of a lot of work. It's a lot of work to keep our country together. And I think that it's, this is a good space, no matter how ugly things have happened in the past, because people are fighting for this more perfect union. And, and that's a perfect. Yeah, yeah that's perfect. I, I think the only slight caveat I would add to that is there's two two cultures that weren't that aren't able to assimilate in the same way as, as, as the other immigrants that have come to this country. It's the, the aboriginal, the, the natives, the, the Indians and, and us, uh, the, the slave, the, the generations of slave, because for some reason we because of our skin color and maybe it's our culture, too. It, it might be a cultural thing, too. We were not allowed at that table in the same way. Like once once the Italians came, uh, yes, they had a language barrier. Yes, they, they had a stigma because of their um, uh, facial features were obvious that they were from re another region of the world. But as they were able to blend in with the rest of society, um, they were accepted. And now they're a part of the main or even you can look at our, our brothers from the south, our brothers and sisters from the south. Uh, Hispanic cultures, um, they they blend right in. You can see people with a Hispanic last name that just fit right in with the culture. But for some reason, we don't. And I think that's kind of the the gist that we're kind of fighting for, right? Or, or we're trying to say, hey, we're good people too. Don't leave us out, right? Or am I am I kind of missing that? I don't think you are. I think, but I, you know, I think that the struggle goes on, and that's part of the more perfect, perfect union, right? And if it's our time to, you know, ask that, demand that, which is respect at the end of the day, um, I think that uh, you know that's the space we're in, and that's why I'm very happy about the each generation has a task, right? Um, yeah. Not that yeah. we're not doing our things, but the next generation, you know, you know. You know they're being charged and they're taking it to another level. You know, it's you know a lot of the movement now was the youth. It was the it was the, the you know the boots on the ground, the the foot soldiers that that got us all to have this conversation in a broader in a broader in a brighter light, so to speak. So Andre, you 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 didn't give everybody a chance to meditate on the quote. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> I'm just letting yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Maya, right? Yet I rise, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think it's I, uh, just Sharon. I think it's better to be out there than 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 to hide away um, from everything. Yes, I, that's what I got out of it anyway. Yes, and and so I'm going to give you another quote from the same person and from Ida B. Wells because that this is what I have been focused on in Black History Month. I've been looking back at uh, various individuals who we don't hear a lot about in history because they have lived so long ago, uh, but they have been so profound in how they saw uh, how, how Blacks were treated in their lifetime. And she said this, the way to right wrongs is to turn the light of truth up on them. That's Ida B. Wells. Mm. And mm. so if people don't want to face the truth, how can you right the wrong? I think what, as, as Sharon said, that one thing that stuck out to me is like, 
from a lot of what I've been seeing about people, you know, fighting back against the the calls for change, it seems like people's identities are so wrapped up in a lot of the um, the racist ways of the past, I guess is a way to say it, that it challenges who they are as a person. That's why they, to me, that's why they don't want to... Um, talk about it because it challenges everything that they believe in who they see themselves as a person. <clears throat> That's definitely a part of it, but some of the people also don't view themselves as racist. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's because the definition of racism that most people think of is the in your face racism. Right. Versus the everyday subtle Yep. Slights that happen, right? There's a little bit of unconscious biases there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I know I know you want to end it there, Elmer, but my I think one of the questions is is you know how how does this fit into our company? Excellent question. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> well, we I'll, think about I'll start that off about you know just the way. Our leadership, and this is not because I'm trying to get a raise next time, but our <laughs> leadership really took the lead. I mean, I'm talking about from the top seat um, and cascading down on addressing this uh, issue of diversity and inclusion and racism and um, the way America was. Right. Um, that's very unusual for corporate America to, to do that. You know, it's 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 a comfortable place to just sit in, sit in the background. And I think. You know, all of us are AAA LC was was um, formed long ago, but we are all involved in different diversity groups because our company jumped out there, you know, um, and and took the lead on 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 this on this conversation within our our corporate culture. So, so how, for Sharon, I know I know we're bringing you into this quite a bit, but from a, you're in you're in a very high leadership position within the company. Um, you know, how how does it affect you, or how how would Black History Month or uh, even these kinds of discussions, um, how, how would that relate to the company from from your position? Well, I think it's it's very important that first of all that we are able to be ourselves. We are able to be authentic, uh, not be ashamed of our differences, and be proud of who we are. And because the company embraces that that in itself is a step of uh, is, is a step to show that when it comes to diversity it's well received it's appreciated and so therefore the environment that's created is an environment that's welcoming of the various you know diverse backgrounds because of the various perspectives so that first of all is what stands out for me and it is so important for leadership to be so sincere and so supportive of it that to me it just it just provides a wow they get it. it it's a wow they get it experience for me because it makes a difference when i talk about the company for the first time in my career the first time in my career i can genuinely say that i am proud of the the position that the leadership has taken as it relates to um, diversity. 
it's so impactful because I've been in, in many other companies and it was a check the box. It was, they knew I was vocal. They would call on me and want my opinion about something, but yet it was just for the moment. It wasn't ingrained into the culture. It was just, well, let me get her opinion, but it was really never valued. It was just a, a show. And I don't like to be used in that way. And so to be able to be authentic, have an opinion, be able to express my opinion respectfully to bring about truth and awareness and to be embraced for it, it is so rewarding to know that my voice has um, power, that it, it, it can be influ uh, influential and that it is received. And it makes a difference. It makes a difference in what I say and how um, the company receives what I say. It really does. Especially when I express my, my, my experiences, uh, because it's through my experiences that I hope to help people to learn what to do, what not to do, and possibly create some ideas about how to do things differently. Look, I am the product of being in an environment where I have seen and have experienced where I have been passed over for promotions, being well qualified because of the color of my skin, because I wasn't the right gender and I didn't have the right skin color, where I have trained people uh, who didn't know as much as me and they ended up being my boss where they felt uncomfortable because they knew it was wrong, but they wouldn't speak up and say anything. And, but I always took the higher road, higher ground, and I always reached out to embrace them because I knew they weren't comfortable. Their body language told me they weren't comfortable, that they knew it was wrong, but I wasn't gonna fault them. It was the culture that did it. It was the culture that they were in and everybody is not able to be, um, everybody's not able to walk away. Everybody's not able to stand up and I recognize that. And so from a person who has had to live it and navigate through it, I have chosen because I was in position to, I, have, I, I either chose to walk away or I, I chose to speak up and make sure that my voice was heard and what I felt was wrong. And each time I spoke up out of truth and in respect, it never put me in a bad position. I can remember the, uh, uh, the CEO of a company who I worked for came to me and he said, Sharon, you are the only one who's going to tell me the truth. When there was a problem in the org, wasn't even in my org, but when there was a problem in the org, he came to me because no one else, and it wasn't race related, but it was because I had established a pattern of being consistent with standing up for what's right, even though uh, it, I may, it may not have yielded the outcome that I wanted, but I always did it respectfully. So I would tell people, if you're not able to speak up about what you see, 
then you probably need to do something different or be prepared to be settled into a mold of um, status quo. I'm not a status quo kind of person, so it don't work for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get that. I, th I think, you know, I, I'm just thinking, you know, Elmo, you brought this up at the beginning as well when you were saying, um, you know, this is this is how you can get involved at AAALC um, at Albertsons.com and, and the, the, with the site, uh, by the time this, this podcast goes out, the site will have been launched. And I think the other side of this, right, is to, just to encourage people to get involved. Yep. And if you don't understand something, join one of the associate resource groups that are out there and learn. Mm -hmm. So we'll be at the end of, of Black History Month. So um, this is just kind of like the, the end of that. But that doesn't mean that you can't check out AAALC. You can't uh, look at it and see if, if it's something that you want to join, learn more about, because there's a whole bunch of different uh, organ or ARGs that are out there. Uh, we have the Asian Network. We have GALA. Uh, we have the Hispanic group. Um, there, there's all kind and win. So I, I would say just go go to your to the web page, choose one and sign up. Right. Yep. You yep. don't you don't have to match the ERG that you join either. No. <laughs> right, yeah. Adam. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that, was, that was one of my biggest hang ups. I remember walking through Safeway Corporate and it's like, well, where's my ERG? I don't have. Well, guess what? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's probably encouraged that you join one uh, that you, you don't maybe identify with. Mm -hmm. That's how you get to know the people and develop empathy. Yes. Oh, yes. nice. Nice way to bring it back. So if you guys have questions, um, of course, go to the website or, or send us an email at uh, Albertsons African American Leadership Council at Albertsons.com or go to our SharePoint. It's connected to the uh, diversity website that's out there. And we have, well, any of us will answer those emails. And if you guys want to join us, we're happy to take you. If you want to start your own uh, ARG and, and if, you, if you want it to be the AAA LC, we're, we're happy to help you there. Just like Wynn helped us. Shout out to Wynn. Um, but next month, let's, I think we want to talk about, um, just in preparation, we want to talk about Black women uh and uh because it's international uh women's uh month so we, we kind of want to talk about black women in, in in history in general uh you guys uh have been so integral to the black community and to the world and and matter of fact suzanne kind of mentioned uh, the three sisters that 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 were mathematicians uh um what was it uh forgot the name of the movie hidden figures hidden figures thank you so that that might even be something we could talk about. But that's that's what we'll come back back with next month. Um, so thank you, everybody, for joining. The conversation was awesome. Uh, this is our first one. So please be patient with us. And I appreciate all your input, everybody. Uh, Adam, Andre, Paul, Remar, Sharon and Suzanne, who's not on the call. She had to drop off. So thank you, everybody. <laughs>